Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. All right, well, good morning. It's good to see everybody today. My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell. And I wasn't in here earlier when, when uh, Jeremiah asked, how many, how many folks we have here? Raise your hand if you have loved ones in the field right now. Got a couple here. God bless you. And uh, we're praying for them. I know uh, three members of our chaplain team are all in 2nd Brigade. So when 2nd Brigade goes to the field, three chaplains go to the field. So we're praying for our, our team as they're no doubt uh, scattered all over Oahu and all over the place preaching God's word as well. We're going to continue today our series in Nehemiah. If you have your Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, as we continue to see this story of rebuilding the wall and this concept of building Christ-centered communities, and today we'll focus on winning the war, winning the war. As we've preached through this book, you've heard several chaplains be a part of that preaching team. We told the story of Nehemiah. Israel was in captivity for 70 years and this is when people began to come back to Israel. They're getting to return home. Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer to the king. He was a captive himself, and God laid it on his heart as he realized that the wall in Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. Nehemiah went to King Artaxerxes and pled his case. And you know the story if you've been here. God uh, saw favor in, over this whole situation and Nehemiah was able to go back and rebuild the wall. As we've been going through Nehemiah, we have seen that God has been in the process the entire time leading his people to build the wall in spite of opposition. They had enemies. There's actually named people in there who, who were against God's people and against God's work. And we talked about all those kinds of things and how we can build community. Well, today we're in Nehemiah chapter 9, and as... We mentioned last week, by here, by this time in the story, the wall is completed, but the war is not over. The war continues. Here, they're going to, in this chapter, they're going to confess their sins. And I would say this, the, the battle now is the war for the soul. The battle now is maybe where a lot of us find ourselves is, is how are we going to be right with God? In just a minute, we'll read Nehemiah chapter 9, but I can't help but think, and we won't turn there, but I'll share it with you. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about this idea of spiritual warfare. And he says in that chapter, he says that you and I do not battle against flesh and blood. In other words, as Paul's talking to the Christian, he's telling you and he's telling me that our enemy is, is not people but it's against principalities, spiritual forces in the dark realm. In other words, it is a spiritual struggle. And I think when I was preaching uh, in Nehemiah chapter 4, I think I mentioned that we have enemies. They are the devil himself. It's the world, that is the world system around us, and it is our own flesh. And in this passage, they're going to confess their sins before the Lord. Throughout the Bible is the concept of confession. First John says, if we confess our sins, that he's able, to, able and just to do what? To forgive us our sins. 
The word repentance comes up throughout the Bible. Repentance is a it's a it's an it's a it's a change of mind. It's a, it's a change of heart. It is the idea that I am turning from sin and I am going to turn to God. It, it, it permeates Scripture. Earlier in our Scripture reading, Cheryl read when Acts in the book of Acts when Peter is preaching at Pentecost. The people cried out, brothers, what, what must we do? And what did Peter say? He said, repent and be baptized, each of you. When you read through the book of Acts, you're going to find they use the word repentance and they use the word faith interchangeably, almost as if they are two sides of the same coin. When we, we turn from sin, we turn to God. This idea of confession. In Matthew, John the Baptist talks about repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This idea of confession, this idea of repentance, it's a heartfelt sorrow for sin and a renouncing of it and a sincere commitment to, to forsake it. Today we're going to look at the people of God in the book of Nehemiah after the wall is completed and we're going to see what God has to say to you and to me about this idea of, of confession and how to win the war of our own souls. Today I hope and pray that God speaks to our heart in such a way that, that we're able to confess our sins, uh, that we're able to leave this place right with God. I'm going to start in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1, and I'm going to, say, I'm going to read down to about verse 3. And he says this, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and they worshiped the Lord their God. We're going to talk about confession today. We're going to see some ways that we can win this war within and we can win the battle. Point number one is this, and I think it's in your bulletin and I think you'll see it on the screen as well. Point number one is to come before God in humility. To come before God in humility. In the passage we just read, what does it say? It talks about them wearing sackcloth. It was a, it was a, an outward symbol of what they were trying to convey that this is the, this is the attitude of my heart. I'm, I'm coming before God in humility. The ashes that it talks about, it's the same thing. It's a focus on humility. The fasting. The earth on their heads. They are trying to say that they're coming to God very humbly. I want you to notice on this idea of coming before God in humility, look at, look at verse number 2 where he says that the Israelites separated themselves from what? It says, from all foreigners, and they stood and they confessed their sins. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because you might look at that and say, well, wait a minute, they separated themselves from foreigners. I thought Christians were supposed to, you know, interact with the world and, and, and reach the world for Christ and all that. Absolutely they are. But I want you to point out, I want to point out that in this passage, what he's talking about is that when they we're celebrating, by the way, the Feast of Tabernacles. You can read about it in Nehemiah 8. We'll say more about that later, or some would call it the Feast of Booths. Part of this, part of this feast and part of this celebration was also a time of confession. 
as they confessed their sins to God, their focus was on them as God's people, not what the non-believers were doing, not what the heathen countries were doing. Does, does that make sense? You and I, if we're not careful, we will get very spun up about the fact that the world around us is evil. Saying the world around you is evil is like saying water is wet. Do you, does that make sense to me? Does that make sense to you? It, it, is, it, is, it is just the way it is. The Bible teaches us that. Our experience teaches us that. That people who do not know Christ are, are going to not live godly lives. What their focus was, however, was humility. And like an old song says, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. They're, they're understanding that they need to come before God in humility. They stood to read God's word. They knew that their help came from the Lord. They knew that their help came from reading God's word. This idea of we separated ourselves from the foreigners was not, again, not that they didn't want to talk to non-Christians. We certainly need to reach out to people to tell them about the Lord. But in their time of confession, they focused on themselves and their own sins to, uh, that they've sinned against God. We have to have a time when we humbly stand before the Lord. And that's going to take, at times, going to take a time of separation from those who are, who are, who are non-Christians. We, we want to separate ourselves from the culture, not, not sit in the culture and be a part of what they're doing. I can't help but think about Psalm chapter 1, and you don't have to turn there, but if you remember how it starts, Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not what? He doesn't walk in the way of sinners, stand in the seat of scoffers, nor sit in the way of the transgressors. That's a pattern that the psalmist is telling us. What happens when we don't separate ourselves and focus on the Lord and focus on God's word is it is a pattern. It first starts with a walk. You're walking with the sinners. You're walking in the sin. And then you stand there for a little bit. And then we get so comfortable that we went from walking with the sinners to standing there with the sinners and then what happens when you, you ever been to somebody's house or you go to somebody's office? When you sit down, what does that mean? I'm going to camp out here for a little bit. That's okay in some instances, but what the psalmist is saying is that when we sit down with the sinner, we're not coming before God in humility, we're staying in the sin. You and I need to take this point from Nehemiah. God called them to be separate. They took time to come before God in humility and remove themselves from those distractions that would, that would be something that would distract them, and they stood before God in humility. Point number two is this. Point number two is simple. <laughs> they confessed their sins. Point number two is they confessed their sins. Look at verse two. We've already read it. It says it very simply. They separated themselves and they confessed their sins and they confessed the iniquities of their fathers. They came to a point when they said, we are sinners. We are in need of God. Their sin was exposed. What, what was in the darkness is now in the light. Truth in coming to light will lead to confession. When I was studying this, I went back and looked at Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a book called Life Together. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you uh, may know, lived in Germany a little bit prior. He was an adult prior to World War II. He was eventually assassinated. He was assassinated by Hitler 
because Bonhoeffer was a, was a pastor who was also a part of, assass of an assassination plot to kill Hitler. And he wrote a lot of wonderful writings. And at a one point in his life, he lived with other Christians in, in, a, in a community. And out of that came the book Life Together. And he talked about this idea of confession. And he stressed the, the right relationship of, of, with God comes with confession of sin. And he said this, listen to this. He said, I meet the whole congregation in the one brother to whom I confess my sins and who hears my sin, hears my confession. In the fellowship I find with the brother, I have already found fellowship with the whole congregation. Bonhoeffer is living out this spiritual truth that we confess our sins. The New Testament says confess your sins one to another. I'm not saying we have to, you don't have to come confess your sins to me as like a, as a priest or something like that for me to talk to God. We talk directly to God, but we hold one another accountable. I want you to notice in this passage that they stood together and they corporately confessed their sins. It says that in verse number two, if you flip over to verses 34 to 37, look at verse 34 in Nehemiah chapter nine. It should be very close there. Look at how they worded this. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and the warnings that you gave them. And then he goes on to talk about the ways that they sinned against God. There's this idea of this corporate nature, nature of the confession of sins, not in a gotcha way, not in a judgmental way, but so that you and I can be right with God. One of the greatest gifts that God gives you and that God gives me is, is one another. If I'm trying to live the Christian life alone and I'm trying to conquer sin alone, what many times can happen is that I can easily lie to myself in my personal quiet time or I can justify the things that I do. But in confession and in sharing that with others, things will be brought to light. Is there anyone here today who is struggling with sin and is trying to do it alone? The bad news is it's going to be very, very difficult because that keeps things in the dark. The good news is we can confess our sins to God and God does forgive us. Hear that very clearly. We can confess our sins to God and God does forgive us. But if we're going to grow in the Lord and if we're going to really win this war, we need those people that God puts in our lives to hold us accountable, that we can confess to, that we can share our burdens with so that we can have that sweet fellowship with one another and that so that we can grow in the Lord. If you're here today and you're struggling with a type of sin of any kind, I encourage you, confess it to God, but also have someone in your life who you can trust. Come to me, come to a chaplain, come to a friend, come to a brother, come to a sister, talk as a couple and hold one another accountable so that we can grow and we can confess and we can win the war against sin. So number two is confess your sins. Number three is this. Number three is remember God's salvation. Remember God's salvation. We won't take time to read the entire chapter, but I want to point something out to you. As I was reading through this entire chapter, if you start in verse Four, it's going to list the people who are up there confessing. And then in verse 6, 
all the way down to verse 31, they're going to retell the story of salvation. I made notes in my Bible, and I encourage you to check this out. He starts with the fact that God is creator. He's retelling what God has done for his people. He starts out in verse 6 talking about God as creator. He talks about in verse 7, Abraham. He talks about how God called Abraham. He talks about their time in Egypt where they were in bondage, where they were enslaved for those 400 plus years. He talks about their salvation from Egypt. He mentions the cloud by day and the fire by night. He talks about the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses and Moses gave to the people. They recount the salvation of God. They recount the disobedience of the people. It even mentions specifically that even after they had, had, had left the Egypt and, and were in the wilderness, that they disobeyed. Remember the story about they built the golden calf? He's recounting the ways that God has worked in their lives. That 40 years after that, and then they finally enter the promised land. And it's this pattern of disobedience, consequences for disobedience, and they're retelling the fact that God has saved them. I encourage you today, I encourage all of us, if we're going to be right with God, we confess our sins, but then we remember God is the one who has saved us. And we can believe his promises that, that he will continue to be faithful to who he is. Remember I told you, if you go back and read Nehemiah chapter 8, that they are going through the Feast of Tabernacles. I want to show you something and hold your place in Nehemiah chapter 9. I want us all to turn to John chapter 7. To John chapter 7. If you've got your Bible digitally, it's, it's easy. If you've got a hard copy, you just flip over to the New Testament to John chapter 7. Jesus, in this passage, is attending the Feast of Tabernacles. Now watch this. It's the same feast that they're attending in, in Nehemiah chapter 9. And look at what he says. On the last, again, this is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus stood, it says in verse 37 of John 7, he said in a loud voice, watch this, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And he says, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Now, keep that in mind. Jesus uses this language of the living water, right? Have you heard that before in John? Remember when he talked to the woman at the well in John chapter 4? He, he, she said, give me a, he said to her, give me a drink. And he has this idea of, if you knew who the one who asked you, give me a drink, eternal, eternal wellsprings of eternal life. Does that sound familiar? If you read in John chapter 6, Jesus actually refers to himself as the bread of life. The Feast of Tabernacles was, a, as most of the feasts were, was a feast of celebration. It was a feast where they had a meal. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. He uses this language of, of the, the one who can quench the thirst. Now, go back to Nehemiah chapter 9, verses, verse 15. I want to show you something. We haven't read this yet. But as they recount the story of the Old Testament, here's what they say as they are confessing their sins and talking about God's salvation in Nehemiah chapter 9. Look at what they say in verse 15, and keep in mind how Jesus shares the same message in his day. It says in Nehemiah 9.15, talking about God, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and you brought water 
for them out of the rock for their thirst, and you told them to go in and possess the land that you swore you would give them. All of our fountains, all of our forgiveness, all of our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were remembering in this passage that everything about their forgiveness and their confession had to do with the fact that God is merciful, that God is the one who forgives. So I have good news for us today who are living with guilt. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel guilty. You know why? Because I am guilty. Sometimes guilt is, is not necessarily a bad thing. If I, if I mistreat someone and I feel guilty about it, you know why I feel guilty about it? Because I mistreated someone because I am guilty. Well, chaplain, that's not a very popular message. That's not going to make me happy. Well, here's the way God works. God's Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. And yes, sometimes that causes me to feel guilty. I confess my sin to the Lord. And Psalm chapter 32, David even said it this way. He said, you forgave the guilt of my sin. One of the challenges that you and I are struggling against as we try to teach this concept is the world doesn't teach anything about sin. So have, have, does this sound like a similar cycle that, that you've experienced or somebody you know has experienced? If you take God's forgiveness out of the equation, sometimes we approach all of our problems like, well, I'm having this problem, I feel guilty. Well, let's talk about all the reasons you might feel guilty and let's just try to make you feel better. No, I've got to forgive the guilt of my sin. How do I do that? Through confession. I confess my sins. God forgives me of my sins. What will then happen is that I will then understand who God is and what he has done for me, and that'll take care of the guilt. And when that guilt does creep in, and Satan tries to make me think, or my own thoughts or my own mind tries to make me think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not good enough. I've tried and I've tried and I'm not good enough. God's Holy Spirit can come in our hearts. Hopefully other Christians can come in our hearts. Hopefully we can read the Bible and be reminded that it's not about how much, it's not so much about whether or not I feel this or feel that. It's about God is who he said he is. And God is the one who saved us. We remember God's salvation. The fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross and three days later rose again. And he said, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He said, whoever confesses their sins he will forgive their sins. We hold on to that and we cling on to that. And that is how we win the war of our own sin. We owe everything to God. And when we confess our sins and we remember God, we remember that it is Jesus who paid it all. And that, friends, is enough. Point number four. Point number four is this. We simply... When we confess our sins, God forgives us for us of our sins. And we remember that it is all of God. And we remember that God has saved us. And we remember that God is the one who, can, who has forgiven our sins. But then we commit to live as God's people. We won't go back and read it. But if you read in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 17 through 18, if you want to jot a note, you can feel free to. But it essentially says that as they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, it says they had not celebrated it quite like they did this time since the days of Joshua, which is 
away, won't go into detail, but away a long time ago from when this story was going on. He's making the point that from this point on, as, as they confess their sins, they are now going to commit to live as God's people. God is working in their, in their midst, in their life. There's an, they're meeting in almost a solemn assembly as they confess their sins, and they still had opportunity to celebrate and to commit to live as God's people. I want you to think about all the ups and downs that Israel has gone through from Joshua when they were just entering the promised land all the way up to the end of the kingdom time when the kingdom split and then they went into captivity. It's time after time where they sinned against God and then they confessed and God saved them. You know what blesses me about thinking about that? About thinking about the story of Israel and where we're at at this point? Whether we have some points in our past that are highs and some points in our past that are very, very low. Maybe you're like me and you can think back to some times where you were very close to the Lord and you were very thankful for that. If you're like me, you can think about times in your past where they are very dark and you're at a place you don't like to think about. Maybe, it's a, maybe you think back to a time when you weren't living close to the Lord. Here's the thing. Because we can commit ourselves afresh to God, we don't have to live in the past. God loves us so that we will no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians. We live so that we will now serve the Lord. I want to point out a couple of things in Nehemiah. We won't read the whole chapter, but if you look at chapter 10, I just want to point out, that there's a couple of things that come out of their confession. Because the so what of confession is, number one, that we're right with God, but the number two, that we're, 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 we're refreshed and we're ready for what God has for our lives. Look at Nehemiah 10, verse 29. Look at what they say specifically. They, they're going to join, it says in Nehemiah 10, 29, join with their brothers, their nobles, enter into this oath to what? To walk in God's law. In other words, the confession is going to lead them to live life accordingly, to live life for the Lord. They even say some specific things in here that for them they're going to, they're going to commit to do. In verse 30 it says, We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. What they mean by that is that they're not going to have their children intermarry with people who aren't believers. Does, does that make sense? That's what they're saying. By the way, if you're here and you're, and you're not married, here's a great simple sidebar conversation. Don't marry somebody who's not a Christian. Marry a Christian. Find the person who God has for your life who's a, who's a fellow Christian. But they're making a commitment. This confession led them to say some practical things like, I'm going to follow God's law. We're going to commit our families to the Lord and we're going to teach our children to live accordingly. In verses 32 through 39, you don't have to read it all right now, but he talks about things like, we're going we're gonna to obey God. We're going to keep the Sabbath. We're going to be giving people. We're going to be generous people. He says specifically down in verse 39, he says, we're going to come to the house of God. They're going to make some commitments in their life as a result of their confession. Andrew and I, Andrew comes to Navigators and very faithfully, and we were having a conversation about this earlier before the service about this idea of, of confession and it couldn't help but think of Psalm chapter 32 when David says he confesses his sins to the Lord. Then he says, you forgave the guilt of my sin and David feels that forgiveness. But then David goes on to say, then I will teach transgressors your way. Do you see the pattern? 
God calls us to come before him humbly, to confess our sins. God forgives us of our sins, and then he calls us to be a part of what he's doing in the world around us. In just a moment, we're going to close, and we're going to have a time of of confession, and I'm going to invite us to have a time to pray to the Lord about these things. But before we do that, I want to ask this question. Do you and I want to feel good, or do you and I want to be forgiven? Because I will tell you that if, if our goal is to feel good about our sin, here's a quick way to do it. This is, as we say, a way. I can guarantee you it's not the best way. But remember the story in the New Testament where there's the Pharisee standing before everybody saying, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not, I tithe and I do all these things and I'm glad I'm not a sinner like this tax collector over here. There's a principle in that story and it's very simple. You and I, if we want to feel better, just find somebody who's sinning more than you do and compare yourself to them and you'll feel better momentarily. If you're looking for somebody, you can come talk to Cheryl and she can point to me and she'll say, you should see what all this crazy stuff this chaplain does. Go find somebody who's doing all these horrible things, the kind of person who steals candy from a baby or whatever. Go find the, the rottenest, worst sinner you can and compare yourself to them. And for a moment, you'll feel better. But let me tell you something. That doesn't work. What God is looking for is he's looking for like that tax collector who just simply bowed his head before God. He said, oh, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. There's a way to feel good. Just compare ourselves to somebody else. But I beg you, don't leave this place justifying things, covering things up, keeping it in the dark. Confess our sins to God who wants to forgive us of our sins. And be right with God. So then we can be a part of what God's doing in the world. We entitled our series Christ-Centered Community. This is that key to having that Christ-Centered Community. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning that we would have our own little solemn assembly. That we would, as you say in the Psalms, uh, search our heart and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the everlasting way. I pray for your people today. I, I, I know that many times there's those of us who are guilt-ridden. I pray that we could be free to that guilt through your forgiveness. I pray for those who are struggling. May you put people in our lives who will be a blessing to us and an encouragement and help us to know we're not alone and help us to know that others can help us in our times of confession and, and help us to walk with you. God, I pray that you would help us to get to the point where we not only humble ourselves and not only confess, but we commit to walk in you. Bless our time now, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.